We'll switch microphones there for you so you can hear me. It's good to see all of you here today. I know y'all probably saying, I'm really tired of looking at this guy up here. He's been with me all day. But uh, Jason has entrusted me with his pulpit today, and I'm so honored that he did. And I'm excited about being able to, um, to preach the Lord's Word with you today. Um, it's an honor and a privilege always to be able to proclaim God's Word. And I don't get to do it in this capacity very often. So I, I, I really appreciate him allowing me to do that today. And I'll pray that we'll... And I'll, do it justice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us here to worship you today, for the freedoms you give us um, today, Lord, for the, for the grace you bestowed upon us, for the sacrificial death of your Son on the cross, Father, and the resurrection, that we may know salvation, that we may know freedom, that we may know, that we may have worship in our hearts for you, Lord. It's why we do everything today, Lord. Lord, as we break open your word today and proclaim your message, Lord, I just pray that we just honor you and everything that's said, every word that's said, everything honor you today. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin by reading um, from Exodus chapter 32. So if you um, have your Bibles with you and you want to flip over to Exodus chapter 32, we'll actually be looking at verses 1 through 14, but I'll begin by reading verses 1 through 6. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them, he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. I would definitely say that this is probably one of the darkest moments in the history of the children of Israel in their journey from Egypt. Let's go back for a moment as uh, where they started. The children of Israel had been slaves in the nation of Egypt for many, many years. God worked through Moses to help lead them out of that nation. You remember, if, if you remember from your Bible, how he worked in Pharaoh and how he would, um, Moses would approach Pharaoh time and time again and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say no. And then what would come upon them? The plagues. And you remember all the plagues that the people lived through and the people of Egypt lived through. You'll remember that the, the children of Israel, keep this in your mind as you're listening to me this morning, they witnessed every one of these plagues. They saw all of this happen. They witnessed the events that took place in Egypt. Remember, they were still there. They witnessed all these miraculous events. Finally, um, Pharaoh eventually let the people go after the death angel had come and taken the firstborn out of the nation of, of Egypt. And the grief that ensued, he let the people go. And as they headed out of Egypt, a great army pursued them. A great army pursued them up into the point of the Red Sea. The people had no place to go. They were between a great army and a great inland sea. And they said, what shall we do? And Moses, through the hand of God, 
parted the Red Sea. Remember, the people of Israel are seeing all this. They're witnessing all this. They're taking all this in. All of these uh, miraculous signs and, 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 and incredible things that God is doing. Not only did God part the Red Sea, but he parted it in such a way that they walk, could walk across on dry land. And as the invading armies pursued them across the Red Sea, what happened? It closed in upon them and the, invade, the, um, the army of the Egyptians was lost underneath the Red Sea as the children of Israel marched forward into the wilderness toward the promised land. When they got into the promised land, what did they begin to do? Complain and grumble and gripe. They were hungry. They were thirsty. What did God do for them? He provided them food in the form of manna. He provided them drink. Last week, if you remember Jason's sermon, he talked about them provided, uh, being provided water from the rock. They had everything they needed. They were being provided for in a desert land where they should not have been able to survive. They survived because they had everything they needed from God. But you will have to remember that these, these children of Israel, they were sinful. They were fallen, much like us. So their hearts would become hard and they would, would, they would begin to grumble and complain again. Finally, where we see the people today is at the base of Mount Sinai where Moses has gone up onto, onto the mountain to receive the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments and the instruction in the law, the very law that would govern these people up until the resurrection of Christ, the very law that they would follow, the sacrificial system, the instructions about how they were to make their places of worship and how they were to conduct themselves. And Moses was up on the mountain. And what did the mountain look like at this time? It was full of smoke and thunder and lightning and, and it, was a, it would have been a phenomenal thing to see the very presence of God resting on the mountain and their leader, Moses, up there communing with God, receiving instruction. Imagine, if you will, being at the base of that mountain and just looking up and just looking up and seeing all the events that were taking place and knowing that you were receiving, that you were receiving the the very word of God, Moses was. Moses was to bring this back down the mountain. Now, here we have Moses on the mountain, but he stayed a little bit too long, didn't he? Stayed a little bit too long. And while Moses was on the mountain, what were the people up to? Let's read verse 1 again. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to them, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You see, people, you see after the people had seen signs, you see after the people had seen wonders, after the people had experienced the very presence of the Lord thundering on the mountain, they still lose sight of him why? Sin. Sin. They say, Moses has been there too long. We will just move on and we'll create our own God. Since Moses has been up there too long, we'll just start over and we'll just make up our own God. Remember, they're doing this in the midst of God rumbling above them. Can you imagine the level of disobedience? Can you imagine the level of audacity it would take to do this? But they did it. They did it. How quickly we forget the God of our salvation. 
how quickly we revert to our sin nature, how quickly we wrap ourselves in the warm familiarity of sin like it's our favorite old blanket, how quickly we abandon the God who leads us, the God who sustains us, the God who redeems us, how quickly we abandon his church, his work, his commission. Judas, if you'll remember, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The Israelites sold him out for a golden cow. Many of our mainline American churches have sold him out for the world's approval. What would you sell him for? What is your price today? Let's go on down and read verse 2. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. This is what, in reading this passage this week and studying this passage this week, one of the things that amazed me was how quickly Aaron fell. How quickly he gave in. It says... He did not even put up a fight. He did not plead to the people for repentance. He did not call on the name of the Lord and implore the people to wait on the Lord. No, he said, give me your jewelry. I'll make you an idol. He didn't even put up the fight. Who was Aaron? The brother of Moses. He had been with him from the beginning. He had seen all of these events. He had witnessed. He had been Moses, one of Moses' closest companions and confidants and he sold him out he sold him out for the world's approval at that time the world would have been about two million of the of the um, hebrew children that were um wandering in this desert land at the base of mount sinai who who had gotten impatient and they wanted another god aaron didn't even put up a fight He said, give me your jewelry. I'll make you an idol. Aaron did what so many of us do in modern life. He caved into the pressure of the screaming mob. Do we not have that in our lives today? Yes. The society we live in is becoming increasingly secular. The society we live, live in is becoming increasingly godless. The society we live in is becoming increasingly dark. And guess what? They want you to follow them. They want you to follow their gods. They want you to follow their idols. They want you to cave in like Aaron did in this case. But church, we cannot do that. Amen? We cannot do that. We cannot cave in to the pressure of sin. He caved into the pressure to put idols before a living God. He got swept along with the current of sinful, fallen humanity. If we are not careful, we can fall into the same trap. If we take our eyes off the Lord, we can very, very quickly go from praising in the pews to dancing around an idol. Remember the presence of the Lord rumbled above them. Remember, remember the thunder. Remember the lightning. It wasn't like God was gone. Did God go anywhere? No, he was there. He was there. The lightning flashed and the smoke poured from the mountain and Aaron would have had to physically ignore the sounds of the Lord to turn aside to the face of sin. He would have had to physically, audibly ignore what was going on above him. 
to cave in to the pressure of the people. Church is so easy to do that today. There are pressures in your life. There are family pressures. There are societal pressures. There are friends. There are, there are um, all types, of, all sorts of situations that want to pull you away from a holy God. They want to pull you away because they know that if you lose sight of the one true God, you will fall for any idol that comes along. Amen? You will fall for any idol that comes along. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Let's go down and read verse 3, if you will, with me. Um, so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. There's a story behind this, and I don't want you to miss it. This is much more significant than you think. Was there a jewelry store out in the Sinai Desert? No, there wasn't. Was there a gold foundry out there? Don't think so. Where'd they get this jewelry? They brought it from Egypt with them. They brought it from Egypt with them. This jewelry had been thrown into the hands of the fleeing Israelites as they left Egypt. This jewelry was intended by God to be used later to build his ark and his tabernacle. This jewelry was now, that had been intended to build God's house, was now being used to fashion a golden cow. How much lower can we go than that? How much lower can we go than that? The very thing that was to be used for the building of God's kingdom, for his, his implements, his ark, his covenant, his ark of the covenant for his tabernacle, was being used to build this false, graven, satanic, awful, golden cow. How quickly the people of Israel had fallen in just a few days. Moses hadn't been gone all that long. You know, it was a matter of days that he'd been up there on the mountain. How quickly the people had fallen. Why did they fall? Because they took their eyes off the Lord. They took their eyes off the Lord. Let's go down and read verse 4. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is not even the worst of it. Using the gold to make the golden cow was not even the worst of it. The people then gave credit to the false god for leading them out of Egypt and pledged to follow a false idol. You know, it's easier, church, to follow a metal cow than a living God. It is. It's easier to follow a metal cow than a living God. Why is that? You say, why is that? A metal cow has no expectations. A metal cow has no expectation of holiness. The one thing we learned in the Garden of Eden is that we do not want anyone telling us what to do or how to do it. We would rather dance in sin around a false idol than spend one minute seeking to please a living and a holy God. And that's the world that they lived in around the mountain, and that's the world that we live in now, today, folks. Let me read that to you just one more time. We would rather dance in sin around a false idol than spend one minute seeking to please a living and a holy God. Okay? 
Let's read verses 5 and 6 together. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They made offerings to this God, offerings that rightly belong to the one true God. Aaron even tried to put the true Lord's name in it. Notice that Aaron wanted a feast day to the Lord with a capital L. You cannot serve two masters. Can I say that again? You cannot serve two masters. Either you serve the one living true God or you serve the world. The choice is yours. Too many Christians today, too many church members today are trying to have one foot one side and one foot on the other. One foot in the world and one foot in the church. Folks, that just will not work. I don't ever often listen to country music. It's just really, <laughs> those of you who love it, it's just not my, not my thing. But I was listening to some of it the other day. And it seems to be the writers of some of these country songs have, have found it interesting now to sort of just oppose um, being in a bar on Saturday and doing anything you want to, living in the kind of way you want to, and having a little religion on Sunday or showing up on a Sunday morning for a church service. And you'll see both of these mentioned in here as, as, as maybe that makes you well-rounded or something like that. I can tell you folks that that is a lie from the devil's hell. Amen? Amen. You're either going to serve one master are you going to serve another? You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the world. But if you serve, try to serve them both, that will end in disaster. Okay? It might sound pretty in a country song, but it does not work. It does not work in reality. You have to serve one or the other. <clears throat> in Cambodia, I remember witnessing... And people would willingly accept Christ as long as they could put him on the shelf with the rest of their gods. They lived in a, um, a pluralistic society, meaning that you could have many different you could have many different gods. You know, they would be fine with accepting Christ as their savior, and they put him up on the shelf with their other thirteen idols or their other thirteen gods, and they just worship all of them. And we had to explain that no, that doesn't work that way. We can't do it that way. There's only one true God. And if you're going to worship him, the other idols have got to go. The other idols have got to go. I think we still try to do that today in our own world. This is a... <clears throat> he is an all-or-nothing God. It says they got up the next morning to play. I want you to notice that in the end of verse 6 here. This is a very polite way of saying that they threw themselves into sexual immorality. You see, the God of Israel would not allow this, but the new God, the little golden cow, he could care less. It did not take them long to descend into utter sin. When you take your eyes off of God, when you take your eyes off of the standard, then your morality will soon fall away under you. And you will do anything, live any kind of way, and... And whatever you want to do is, 
it's fine to you. That's what the society tells us. That's what culture tells us. To now, if it feels good, do it. If you want to follow, follow your ideas and follow your, your um, ambitions, go ahead. If they don't have anything to do with God, that doesn't matter. Go ahead and do it. You see, once you take your eyes off the one true God, everything else crumbles away underneath you. Everything else crumbles and falls underneath you. And it very quickly fell out from under the children of Israel, and they found themselves then um, throwing themselves into all types of sexual immorality at the end of verse 6 here. You see, the God of Israel would not allow this, and he will then, and he will not allow it now. Our nation and our churches are trading in a holy God for a golden idol. The name of this idol is humanism, universalism, atheism, agnosticism, anything but a holy God. But what is the price? What is the price of following these idols? What is the price, church? What is the price for us as a church? What is the price for us individually? What is the price as a nation? The second point I'd like to make for you all today is inventory your idols. Before you stand in self-righteous judgment of these Israelites, we had better inventory our own idols. You may say, Pastor Mark, I do not have any idols in my life. I don't have any idols. I beg to differ. It may not look like a golden calf, but anything you put before the Lord is just as much an idol. It may be your job. It may be your finances, it may be your hobbies, it may be your friends, it may be your family, it may be your pride, it may be your hurt feelings, it may be your unforgiveness, it may be your past hurts, your bitterness, your comfort, your preferences, alcohol, drugs, the pursuit of anything but a holy God. But we have our idols, amen? Amen. We sometimes make our own anger or our unmet needs an idol. He made me mad. She hurt my feelings. I'll never go to church because they don't do things right there. If this is how you feel, you have made your own selfishness an idol. And you dance in the glow of the idol of your own narcissism. Church, we must get over ourselves and get back to Jesus. Make him first before our own foolishness. Our own church buildings can become an idol. If it does not look like I want, have what I want, and make me comfortable, I'll just stay home. God help us, God help us, and God help us, if that's what we have become. How far we have drifted from true worship. God could turn these buildings into dust with one swoop of his hand, and then we will know what true church is. We can turn worship services into an idol. If the music does not please me, if the preacher is too loud, too soft, too young, too old, does not speak to me when I want him to or how I want him to or where I want him to, I will want him and then I I will um, want him to leave or I will leave myself. That, my folks, is dancing around the idol of self. That is dancing around the idol of selfishness. When we need to be praising Jesus. When there are lost people dying all around us. That's why church is closed today. 
That's why churches close today. They get so involved in this foolishness until they lose sight of what really matters. And you think it can't happen? Ride around through the countryside sometime and you'll see churches closed every single day. We can turn our own expectations into an idol. Many a good pastor has been burned alive on the altar of unrealistic expectations. Many a person had us walked out of this wonderful church because it had the audacity to not be perfect. I have been here 11 years. I've seen many, and I miss them all, and I love them all. Jason and I'll talk about this one thing. There, there are things that hurt you as a minister, and it's different for everybody. For me, it's to love people and watch them walk away without so much as a phone call or a word. Just gone. Just gone. That, folks, breaks my heart because I love you with a pastor's love. And Jason loves you with a pastor's love. you got about the best pastor there is. You really do. You really do. I know that. I've known a lot of them. And he's about the best there is. He loves truly with a pastor's heart. He truly desires to see this church grow and to do the right thing and to honor the Lord. And you need to appreciate him. You need to hug him around the neck when he gets back. Many times after being in this church for many years, people move on to the next best thing. It breaks my heart wide open to see this. They will never find what they're looking for. So they'll go around in circles trying everyone until they finally stop and just stay home. They have fallen victim to the idols of expectation and perfectionism. The idol of the greener grass. Just like the Israelites brought that golden cow. Thought that golden cow was the next best thing. How dare that pastor or that church not be perfect. Let me tell you something, my church. If you found the perfect pastor or you found the perfect church, then they would then become your idol. Amen? And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. This church isn't perfect. Your pastors aren't perfect. But we love Jesus. We love the Lord. And we will do everything we can to teach about him, to witness for him, to work for him, to honor him until the last day we draw breath. We'll do that as pastors and we'll do that as a church. We'll never be perfect. So if, you, if you're looking for us to be perfect, you'll probably need to move on down the trail because that's not us. But we do love the Lord. We do love the Lord. It's about Jesus. It's not about you and it's not about me. Just decide that I will work where the Lord has me I will use the talents the Lord has given me to make this place better. I will dig my heels in and I will work when it's easier to leave. We can make the past an idol. I just read a book by Tom Rayner, who's the president of LifeRay Resources, entitled Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Jason gave it to me to read this week. He said, read this book, Autopsy of a Deceased Church. I said, that sounds like fun reading. So, so I read it. I read it, and a couple of days later, he said, what do you think of the book? I said, that's the most depressing thing I've ever read in my life. I said, thank you so much. That made my week. It was a description of 14 churches. You should pick it up and read it. It's a thin little book. There's 14 churches, and all of them had died. All of the churches had died, closed their doors, and it was about what led to the demise of, of the church. 
And all of them said they'd never close. All of them said they'd never close their doors. But they ultimately, all 14, did. They wanted things to stay the way they were. This was the main ingredient in the closing of all the churches. Their past was their idol, and they all closed their doors. You may say we are, um, you, you may say we are um, building this building here, so this can't happen to us. We're, we're building a building. This building could be boarded up in two or three years that you're building over here, that you're working on. It really could be. If you take your eyes off Jesus' church, if you take your eyes off the real thing, if you put idols before the Lord and you focus on them before you focus on Jesus, I'm telling you, it will be boarded up. You think it can't happen? We could be number 15 in that book in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. What's to keep that from happening? I certainly hope it doesn't. We're going to fight and do everything we can to keep it from happening. What can keep it from happening? Putting Jesus Christ first in everything you do. Putting him before yourself and your own um, and your own desires and your own wants and your own interest. Putting Jesus Christ first and his church primary in your life. That's what turns it around. Repentance. Repentance. That's what turns it around. We have made the worship of the one true God something we try to fit into our lives. It should be the center focus of our lives. It used to be we fit our leisure activities into our lives around our worship, and now we have to work worship in around our leisure. This is pure idolatry and sin, folks. When you have to squeeze worship into your life, there's a problem. There's a spiritual problem. When you have to squeeze worship into your life, that is a problem. Do I get an amen on that? Amen. Used to be the other way around. You remember? Your life revolved around your worship. You set your, you set your clock by, by your church and your, and your Bible study and your worship and your, your devotion. Now that's all out the window. All that's different. We'll get to, Pastor Mark, I'll get there if I can. I'll see you if I can. If I ain't got anything else better to do than come spend the day with you, I'll come to church. Right? Come on. Come on. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. We keep that up. We keep that up. Because it's not about me. It's not about Jason. It's about the Lord. You know? When you ain't got time for the Lord... And you need to get your time adjusted. You need to get your time adjusted. All right? Why are churches shrinking and why are churches closing? Why are missionaries being asked to come off the field due to lack of funding? Because we stopped making worship a priority and we started letting the pursuit of idols run our lives. What's the cure for this? How can this be turned around? How can we save our churches? Repentance. Repentance. Remember this altar down front? Remember this thing? Repentance. Fall on your faces before a holy God and repent. Turn from the idols in your lives and turn back to Jesus. Make his church, make this church a priority. If everybody made it a priority, we'd have a line at the door this morning, folks. We wouldn't be building an educational building. We'd be building a sanctuary. Because it'd be so full, we'd have to fill it up two or three times a day. If people made this a priority, 
Turn from your idols and repent. You know, people make, it's January, so they make resolutions, right? Let me tell you what your resolutions need to be. Um, most people's resolutions this time of year are, I'm going to lose a few pounds and I'm going to exercise, right? Or I might read a good book this year. Let me tell you what your resolutions need to be. I will, this year, I will put down my idols. I will make worship my priority. I will love my pastor and I will support him and I will pray for him. I will work tirelessly in my church until the Lord moves me or takes me home. I will refuse to let anything stand between me and authentic worship. Put down your idols. They are costing you too much. Let's move down into verse 7 here. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down... For your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves, and they have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that, I'm, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So God has taken notice of what's going on down the mountain. Moses hadn't known what's going on because God knows everything and he sees everything and he sees what's going on down the mountain. And, Moses, and God says to Moses, Moses, your people are down the mountain disobeying me, making false gods against me, your own brother, making golden calf, making a golden image. You remember the, the number one commandment we wrote on that ten, on that those stones that I gave you, the Ten Commandments? What does it say? Thou shalt have no other what before me? God before me? Well, they've already broken that one, Moses. You know, they've already broken that one. They've already put this false God down there. And God says, I am so mad with them, Moses, I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to wipe them away. I'm finally done with them. I'm finally done with their grumbling and their griping and their complaining and their disobedience and their sin. And I will build another nation through you. He could have done that and still held to the Abrahamic covenant because Moses was a descendant of Abraham. He could have started over with Moses. He could have kept his covenant. Um, And he says, I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm going to start over with you. And Moses says to him, verse 11, listen to this. But Moses implores the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people with whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and great, great and mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with an evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in this mountain or to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster on your people. What has Moses done for his people? He's interceded for them. He has gone before God in the wrath and he said, God, please have mercy on these people. You know, think about it for a minute in the flesh. You know, if it was us, if I was Moses, I might say, oh, Lord, please take them out. Take them out. Let's wipe these people out. Let's start over. They've been terrible. They've been terrible to deal with. They've complained and fussed and griped the whole time from Egypt. They've ignored your miracles. They've ignored your miraculous signs and they've just been awful. Moses didn't do that because Moses loved his people and Moses was an intercessor. And he says, God, don't do it. Don't burn the people up. Don't destroy them. You know, let let this be a witness. Let their redemption 
be a witness. Does that sound kind of familiar to y'all? Who does that for us? Jesus Christ does that for us. Jesus Christ does that for us. He absolutely does. Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He takes the, he takes the wrath of God for us. He bought the forgiveness of our sin so that we may have eternal life. You might say, Pastor Mark, I've been, I've been listening to this sermon today, and I know my priorities are all messed up, and I know I've been following after idols, and I know that I've been worshiping the wrong false gods and golden cows, and I know that I'm wrong. How do I fix that? How do I fix that? Because we're all about re- redemption here, and we're all about fixing it, you know, because as long as you're breathing, there's a chance to come back to the Lord, right? There's still a chance to come back to the Lord. How do you do it? You fall on your face before a holy God and you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my idol worship. I'm sorry for my priorities being messed up. Lord, I'm sorry for not making you first in everything. Lord, I'm sorry for that. Forgive me for that. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross and because Jesus Christ came and was resurrected again, he bought that redemption so that we could have that so that we can start over, so that God can wash us clean and wash us pure. I hope you've all got that today. I hope you've all got that today. Let's go back and read the last verse here I want to look at in verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So because of the intercession of Moses for his people, he was able to... um, to turn God's wrath and the people were able to continue on their journey. Eventually, eventually, um, the, the, the making it into the Holy Land, if you read through the scriptures later on, through a long journey and a lot of different things, a lot of those at the base of the mountain were not going to make it. But God was going to still work in his people and still keep his promises. Folks, today I think what I want to get across to you today is that we need to repent if we are not making him the main thing in our life. If we're not making God the first thing in our life, if we're putting our idols before him, if we are putting other things ahead of worshiping him, or even in our church life, if we're putting our own preference and preferences and attitudes and angers and, and stuff before a holy God, making it about us and not about him, Today is the day you need to repent. Today is the day you need to turn from that. Today is the day you need to stop. Today is the day you need to do something different and do something better. And he will receive you. He will take you. If you don't know him as your Savior, he will take you. He is such a loving and a wonderful God. I'm going to tell you something about the God I serve. His desire, his desire is that you serve him. And if you have an earnest and honest desire to turn from what you've been doing to his service... He will meet you there. He will meet you there. Whatever the need of your heart is this morning, I'm going to pray for us in just a second. I'm going to let Miss Velma and Miss Glenda come up and lead us in this, in this um, hymn of invitation. I pray that you just leave your idols at the altar. I pray that you just lead, um, leave the mess that you've been carrying at the altar. I pray that you make it different. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for this scripture that you've given us, Lord. I, Lord, I just, I, Lord, I, I just, I just repent before you if I've carried idols in my life, if I put things before you, and if I put burdens or distractions or worries before 
before our worship of you, Father. Lord, I, I, I pray as a church, Father, that we may seek to seek you, seek you stronger and do better for you, Lord. Work harder for you, Father, to dig our heels in and make this place the lighthouse that it has been for almost 100 years. I pray that the next 100 years be even brighter for you, Father. But in order to do that, Father, today we repent. We ask, our, we ask forgiveness, Lord. We, um, we just ask that you just, that you just um, turn from your wrath towards us and, and give us the grace and the strength and the mercy to follow you better, Father, and to put you first in everything we do. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Let's stand.